0: You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. All right, uh, I was here last summer. I got to be here last summer because uh, Dave and I... Kind of have this uh, annual pastor swap thing sort of going, where, where he's uh, actually, he'll be speaking at Vintage Faith in a couple of months, and then last summer, uh, he spoke at Vintage Faith, and then I came here, so like, uh, Reality San Francisco, in fact, all of the Reality Churches to us at Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz, it's kind of like we're sister kindred uh, churches, and so like, I was thrilled to be coming back here, and I just am always thinking about this church and praying for this church, so I love it here, so I'm just very excited to be here, and uh, good friend of Dave, and you're so lucky to have the staff here as, uh, in, in leadership. So, let's, uh, I'm going to speak here this morning and share, and this is my main statement, that it takes only one generation to forget the story of God, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Yet, the good news is it only takes one Christian living out the story of God to change someone else's life for eternity. I'm going to kind of give a little personal story here this morning uh, about how God changed my life and used somebody very unusual to do so out of the blue. Uh, So it only takes one generation to forget the story of God. It only takes one Christian living out the story of God to change someone's life for eternity. Now every person in this room, like if you're following Jesus or you're wondering about following Him, you're all at some point of like interacting with God. And you all have stories that are going on that fit within God's story. And for me, I grew up like not knowing anything really about God, Christianity, church. I had some limited kind of church experiences as a kid that my parents kind of forced on me when they went out and got donuts and read the newspaper, like it was like an odd thing. And I did get a Bible when I was like a little kid, but I never opened it up to see what was in this thing. And then when I got to be a high schooler, I remember seeing the Bible, I'm like, what is in this thing called the Bible? And I opened it up and it's like an odd experience. If you have, if you can remember if you're a Christian now for a while what it was like opening this up for the first time, or maybe you've never opened up a Bible. It's an odd experience. I know you can look it on your phone now, or your iPad, or whatever, but it says, like, you got this Bible, and I'm opening it up, and it's in columns. So right off, as a teenager, I'm like, this is weird looking. Then you start looking at, like, it's in col- there's numbers in it, and I'm like, what are all these numbers? Then you start looking at things in here, kind of like these words, you know, like, Habakkuk, like, what is that? Or these numbers, one Corinthian, two Corinthian. Like, it was very, for my very distinct remembrance, I'm like, this feels like it's a medical dictionary, and those are virus names, (laughs) because I couldn't make sense of it. And so for me, I'm like, beats me, and I had, I stuck it, I very clearly remember this, on my shelf in my room in Paramus, New Jersey, where I grew up, I stuck it between Lord of the Rings, and Dracula, (laughs) and the reason I did that was because I'm like, it's kind of like there's like, you know, you can see there's like demons in it and dragon and revelation and there's spooky things and good and evil. It fits there really well, and it had gold shiny edges, so I'm like, that's the Bible, beats me about Christianity and church, and that was it. Then I go to college, you know, so like in you're in your college years. And those are great years because you start like questioning things. You're like, what is, you know, what is uh, truth? You know, what is, is what, are religions real? And all of these things that were going on. I got very heavily, and I'm still into, into the punk scene and uh, rockabilly music, and I was in a band and all this stuff. It was just a fantastic couple of years. But something started happening when I'm walking around campus And they'd have these campus groups out, and they had these tables out with, like, pamphlets on them. And so I'd be walking by, I'm like, you know, what's this? And I'd grab a couple of them. I wasn't, like, anti-church or Christian. I just was neutral about it, didn't know what what it was about. But what I do remember is very distinctly reading these verses that they put on these little pamphlets. Ones like this, like, for the first time reading this. In the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10. When it says these words, this is Jesus, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. And now, you know, you may have memorized those verses like when you're a little kid or somewhere. But here I am, you know, 19 years old and reading these for the first time and going like, I wonder what Jesus means by life to the full. And then reading this one, like 1 John 1.9, the verses that are kind of pulled out, you know, uh, that they give out, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Like, I remember reading that verse and going, like, somehow, like, all of my greed, lies, lust, things that I've done in my life, gossip, like, somehow... God can see me as pure. You know, and I'm just like through Jesus like if we confess and what is this and so it's so intriguing reading these passages of hope. John 3:16, the classic Bible verse that you'll see so often, but reading it for the first time for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And then I start picturing, like, the little bit I knew about Easter Sunday. Like, you know, somehow Jesus rose again. And then start putting together some of the pieces. Like, that was talking about this thing called the cross and then the resurrection. And it says, if I believe in him, I will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but save the world through him like you're reading these scriptures and I'm like oh my gosh this Jesus is certainly somebody I want to start looking into further you know and so as I was doing this I'm like okay I got a Bible and I went down to this Christian bookstore and I bought a Bible uh, that was more updated and so I'm like looking at that can't understand it at all still And I didn't go and buy study helps at that time, I didn't know what to do. And so I'm like, I probably should find other Christians to figure this thing out. And so on our college campus, they had, you know, several Christian groups. And so here I am, like, I'm in this punk band playing around and doing all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, I say, I'm going to try this Christian thing I saw in the school newspaper. And I walk up to the, uh, the classroom, it was on a Wednesday night. And I hear music, and I'm like, boy, this music sounds like 1970s commercial jingles. Like, even <laughs> listening to, like, the, the, the music. And, like, and I open the door, and, like, everybody's clapping. And I'm just like, yikes, like, what? you know, And they're clapping, and then, like, you know, and I, this is how I, I'm very visual in how I think in, about things. And what I do remember was, and this was back in the 80s, and I see this massive uh, color swathe of of uh, pastels and I'm like oh my gosh like I'm like Christians must be into what was a TV show at that time Miami Vice because they were wearing all of these things and so I'm just like ah, you know just like I remember I didn't even go in I'm like this group is not for me like nice people and this music uh, uh-uh. uh. and so I just left now I'm on my own none of my friends are Christians I'm trying to sort through something like God, this this Jesus I'm reading about, you know, these passages, forgiveness, he loves us, sent us, I'm like, I want to find out more. So I'm in a dorm, and right across the street was some church, just like steeple church building. That's all I know. I'm like, let me go over there. So I asked my friend Randy to go with me. And so, will you come to this church meeting with me? He's like, sure. So we go across the street, walk into this church building, and it was like the opposite experience of this kind of happy, peppy group that I walked into in the dorm. I'm sorry, in the school classroom. Now, this, it looked something like this. Like, this wasn't the, uh, the building, but it had kind of like that railing up front, and it was pews, and, you know, and it's interesting. So I walk in, and there's pews. And you think about this, the only other building in America that uses pews is courtrooms. So you walk in, you're kind of like, ooh, like, what's going on in this room? And then it was... Organ music? No, music is subjective, but organ music creeps me out. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. <laughs> and so I'm trying to figure out. Like, and it's like then you have to squeeze in this courtroom bench, and I'm sitting down with Randy, and it was like everybody's quiet. Like, gosh, you know, and then all of a sudden the organ stops, and all of a sudden this guy pops out. And he's wearing a robe. I'm like, where'd he come from? I think he was like in a door or something. <laughs> and so then he comes out, and then he's like, you know. He's talking in a voice, like, you know, blessed be you people, and the Lord is good. And they're like, they're chanting back, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. But we couldn't get out, because we're stuck <laughs> in the pew. So we're then, uh, <clears throat> the guy starts talking, and I don't know what he talked about. He looked like a superhero figure to me, because he was opening up his arms, and he had like, st- I-, I respect it now, I'm, like, okay. But, you know, and he's wearing a robe. I'm like, is he into Howard? I mean, you, uh, you Hefner? Like, what's he doing in the morning like this? So it's like these weird things that go into my head, right? So then he holds up a cup. And I don't even know what he talked about. Flowers, something. I don't know if I even heard the name Jesus. Fills up the cup, and then he starts saying something. He's holding it up. I'm like, oh, a magic trick. He's like talking to the <laughs> cup. He's going to pull something out. And so then I'm like, all right. And then he's, without any understanding, people start getting out of the pews one by one and going up front. Now that room, it had like this bench thing up in the front, so we get up and I'm like, I don't know what to do, but we were stuck, so we went up front and we get up to the front part and they're like, all right, you got to kneel down and there's the the rope man and he's talking to me, to us, and then you passed the cup down. I got no really understanding what they're doing, but the person next to me, hands me the cup, and then they're dipping the bread in. I now know what it is, but I didn't then, and they were saying something, and it was like, the body of Christ you know, and the blood of Christ shed, on you, shed for you. Then you took it, then you passed it to the next person, and you said it to them. Very beautiful, right? But I, again, I don't know. So I get that. I'm like, blood, body, magic cup. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> and so I look to my friend, and I just go like, I don't know. And I just gave it to him. I didn't say anything. Now, he knew he was supposed to do say something. So he's got the cup, and then he looks at the person next to him, and with quite confidence, he just says, the cup of wonder. right? <laughs> and he says that. Um, and I did what you just did. I'm like, oh, that's not what he's supposed to say. Right? And I'm just like, huh. And I start like... It was the solemn moment, taking the Lord's Supper, and I'm kneeling down at this thing, and I just start giggling, like, eee, you know? And th- what I remember was the railing. I can still picture it moving. I was giggling. Then my friend starts laughing, and then I look up, and there's you, Hefner looking down at me. Kind of like, and I'm like, I, I got to get out of here. And so I just got up in the middle and bolted out the room, and my friend Randy came running out after me. I'm like, Christians and the church... I don't understand it, it's pretty bizarre, and that's it for me. You know, so like, I was kind of like, no more. I've tried the young people's thing, and that was kooky, and this thing's kooky. So, but here's what I, so then my band moved over to London, England, and we're living over in London at this time, and I'm going to pick up this story later. Because at that point, I pretty much said, Christians are kind of goofy, weird, I don't understand this stuff, it's not for me. But then what I started realizing, and I'll say it in our culture today, this is pretty predominant. As you're looking in at the church and Christianity from the outside, what you'll start seeing is like, what are the observations that just will naturally come? Very understandable observations. Right now, if you were to type into Google search engine and type in, Christians are, look what comes up. you know, we're crazy, <laughs> ignorant, hypocrites, delusional, judgmental. And I know there's some sort of, you know, how Google search engines work. I don't know, but this is what comes up when you type that in. And it's like, that's not too good. You type in things today. Again, looking in from the outside, type in preacher and see what images are coming up. as you peep, you know, And you'll see, like, there's a cartoon. like. But now look at what's common in each of these, these things. You'll see, like... You're like, scary grandpa with the Bible there, you're just like, oh. And you'll just see like one finger pointing, finger pointing, finger pointing, and it's sort of like judgmental, sort of sound looking figures. And then what I did realize, I'm like, where is this posture coming from? And so I think I solved where it came from, where these preachers were then copying it. <laughs> you know. But that's just like, we're known primarily as being judgmental, right? Overall, that's what the statistics say. Again, I'm going to give a happy ending to this, but I want to raise up some of these uncomfortable observations about us. Not just how we're known, but then what do we believe? Like, do we really believe that a talking snake talked to Adam and Eve, right? Now, uh, I believe in the entire Genesis account, and I don't have time to go into this, but if you're looking in from the outside, how are we observed as a people? I have many non-Christian friends on Facebook and then I'm also a male and I don't mind being on Pinterest. I know there's sort of a debate about that but I love <laughs> Pinterest, you know, so, but basically, <laughs> but basically like you'll see images getting passed around and I saw this one that was up there that said this, it says, Christianity. And it says, the belief that a cosmic Jewish zombie can make you live forever if you symbolically eat his flesh and telepathically tell him you accept him as your master so he can remove an evil force from your soul that is present in humanity because of a rib woman was convinced by a talking snake to eat from a magical tree. Makes perfect sense. Now, here's what I know. If you're a Christian in this room and you know the story, you go like, that's not the story. But if you're only seeing glimpses of it, or seeing little bits and pieces of it. What I can say is, that is, I would write that, right? That would be me writing that about Christians. Because I may just look at some outside things without going into it too deeply, and then coming up with these conclusions like I did in college, based on musical style, dress, you know, uh, the, the, in this one case, the pastor of that one church didn't explain things, there was assumptions that I believed. Like, and then we're seeing this rise, like at Urban Outfitters, there's a shirt, it's super creative and great, uh, you know, but it says, there's a thing, like, well, if Christians really believe that, uh, that the dinosaurs were on the ark, and that's a whole other discussion, like, you know, uh, I don't, but you know, there's a whole other discussion, and then they get off the ark, and then they live to the time of Jesus, then they'll say, well, you know what, Jesus then probably rode dinosaurs, and tens of thousands of shirts are being sold, and then, like, you can see that, like, ha-ha, that's funny. But then, is that what Christians are? So it gets, like, uncomfortable being around this. Now, what I want to do is there's all kinds of things that, you I mean, you're in the world, you're in the culture, you're in San Francisco, you know that, you know, these are just natural observations that are being raised up about us. And, you know, and then there's the groups that are really trying to pull out certain things. Like, there's Richard Dawkins, who wrote a book called um, The God Delusion. And there's a whole series of books like this, and they're saying, you're God Christians that you believe in. It says he's arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. And then there's this list. I don't even read it. It's up on the screen, but highlighting that God is jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. And I'm like, that's how, that's the God of the Bible? There's other things like that are coming out very, very clever, awkward moments, children's Bible. And they'll say things like, look, it's w- super well done. Uh, in fact, I'm writing the foreword for volume two to, to the, um, developed a relationship with the author, and I'm writing it to saying, like, I don't believe anything in it. So it's interesting he's letting me do this. But basically, <laughs> uh, you know, it's pointing out, here's the nice, happy Noah's Ark, but you've missed all of the drowned uh, dead people in the water. And it's just a whole series. It has over 100,000 likes now on Facebook. And so, like, there's a tension being brought to the faith about things like this. So, as a, someone peeking in at Christianity and we're seeing these things, or the accusations, you know, as I'd be, say, searching or a college student today, should I be a Christian? What is this about? And to our, the attention is being brought to, well, Christians pick and choose Bible verses, such as, you know, you look into the book of Leviticus, and there's things about, you know, you'll say some things you should do, and some things you're not, then why are you playing football? Because that means you're touching the skin of a dead pig, which Leviticus uh, uh, prohibits, or you're eating shellfish and shrimp or pork, or you have two kinds of cotton polyester blends, and there's these things that are coming up about this. You know, there's accusations, like, you know, look at the football one, just saying, like, don't touch the football. You know, it's a mocking, an understandable mocking from a surface view of what the Bible teaches, and then it spreads around, and it's like on Facebook, on Pinterest, you're seeing it in CNN uh, commentaries by even CNN reporters making statements like this, and they go like, is that Christianity, you know, and this story is being painted of the faith. Now, why is the story of God and Christianity being so misunderstood today? And I will say that now, and I don't know everybody here, so I can't say, like, if you've read through the story or know the whole story. But when you read the whole story, you'll say, wait a minute, that's not what the Scriptures actually teach. That's not who God is. And you're misusing passages and coming with all these these conclusions. And I'm like, why is this happening today? And what I want to say is like, I think it can be explained and let me turn to Mary Poppins as a way of explaining this. There's the movie, Mary Poppins, we all know. Uh, You've seen it. Mary is a good person. She comes in to save the Banks family, you know, to help them. The dad's too busy busy with his business and his money and the mom's off on on her crusade, you know, just stuff like that and the children are being ignored. It's to help the family. But now, what if you only looked at Mary Poppins, pretend you've never seen it before, and you're only seeing little bits and pieces of it strung together in a certain way? Let's look at this video clip to look at Mary Poppins. I want to show that because, like, was everything that we just saw from the movie Mary Poppins? Like, yes. But what they just did was they just took little scenes out of the context of the big story And then it ends up being, Mary Poppins is scary, hide your children. And what I believe is going on today is that there's a story being told now of God and the Christian faith that understandably, if you've never seen Mary Poppins before and that's all you've seen, you would naturally conclude it's a horror film, hide your children. But if you then know the full story, then you go like, wait a minute. That's not Mary Poppins. Now, let me look at this, because this isn't some sort of new, amazing thing that's going on. In history, transitions happen. If you go back to the book of Judges, which is in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament, and it was a time period when Moses was leading the people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. Then he was bringing them into the Promised Land. And then at that particular time period, then what was going on was he passed the leadership down to a guy named Joshua, who was then passing it down to another generation. And so originally they saw God, and some of them still complained and all of these things that we saw in the story of Moses. But then here's what happens. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, this is talking about Moses and Joshua, another generation who grew up who knew neither the Lord or what he had done. So it's really interesting that you then have a generation that grows up, and the story was still real, but they don't know the story. Maybe they're only seeing, gl- hearing glimpses and pieces of it. But whatever it is, they don't know it. And then what you'll see is the people of Israel, the next, pat- the next scripture, the verse right after this, talks about how then they became culturalized, started worshiping false gods of surrounding people groups because they didn't know the full story. And so what I want to make a case for here is that it takes only one generation to forget the story of God. But here's the good news. It only takes one Christian living out the story of God to change someone else's life for eternity. See we live in a world today where like this is not going to be changed. As more and more people are growing up in our culture and in our country, in San Francisco, Santa Cruz is very similar to San Francisco, and growing up, and they don't know the full story. So they're only seeing bits and pieces and criticism of how Christians pick and choose Bible verses and all of these different things that are then coming at us and like, yikes, now if I was them, or if I'm you and you're one of them in this room, I would be so with you. I would be like, absolutely, I would say the same thing. But if I then took the time to explore it and then met Christians who were loving, kind, non-judgmental, not wearing pastels, like whatever my judgment, you know, I got. but if all of a sudden I started seeing something different in a life, it then will influence me, and God uses his spirit to change us through other people. It's not just human argument and then his spirit will actually soften a heart, and then eventually, for me, I put faith in Jesus. But let me just say this again. This change is not gonna happen through great bands, and music, and supersonic preaching, and a multi-million dollar strategy campaign of remarketing Christianity, or something like that. It's gonna happen through individual lives. Let me now share just how my story ended up being affected by an 82 year old, unhip, uncool man who God used to end up having me put faith in Jesus. I was living in England at this time, gave up on stuff, Christianity Church, I don't know. I'm interested in the Bible still with Jesus. So I carry a Bible around with me, uh, playing in, uh, our band was playing in all places. I put in my drumsticks, uh, beer, and my Bible. Like That was my little case that I take <laughs> everywhere with me. And And basically, I'm walking, I was doing temp jobs, I walk by a tiny little church building one day that was squished in between these other two buildings and outside on a so unhip graphically sign that was made, almost like hand scrawled, um, Bible study inside today, you know, uh, lunchtime, all welcome. And I'm like, huh, I wonder what this is. Like, I got a Bible in my bag, like, you know, like, huh, I don't know, Uh, should I go in? So I'm like, I'll peek in and I opened the door, it was a big wooden door, uh, and you opened the door and then I looked right past the little entryway and there was about three elderly people, and I mean in their 80s, respectfully, sitting around some chairs, and this is, if you go up, this is the one on the right, this photo is a man named Stuart Allen, and I'll explain the Ovaltine, that's him there on the right, and he looks up at me with this like innocent look like, here for the study. Now. If he did not say that, right? If he did not, because I looked in, I'm like, old people, yikes, I'm out of here. Like, you know, it's kind of like this, my instant reaction. And I'm like, but the way he looked up, and I was kind of like, oops, wrong room, sorry. And he said that, I'm like, okay. And I sat down. And I was so nervous. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Yeah. And there's three elderly people. And then he's like, here. And he pours out of a thermos, like one of those old school thermoses, into a cup. And And I'm like, what? He's like, Ovaltine. And I'm just like, I'm like, Christians are so strange. Like, what is this Ovaltine? And so I'm like, okay. And I drank it, I was so nervous, I drank it really fast. And then I give him the cup back and then he pours another one in. And then he's looking at his two friends, kind of like, hmm, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. What if they put something in this drink and I am going to wake up in the basement chained up And a bunch of old people are going to be poking at me with sticks or something. Like, I had, like, some strange vision there for a moment. But here's what they did. They said, we're studying the book of Acts. I can remember that. And then it was like, you know, and I'm like, Acts, what's Acts? And they didn't, like, quickly, I had to look up in the table of contents. Where's the book of Acts? I don't know. And then as they talked, they didn't, like, say, like, look at what you're wearing. Like, wearing, like, whatever leather stuff or human skull bullet ties or my haircut or a different thing it was no sense of judging me based on my outer appearance then as he did they just like i had a question like any questions they encouraged questions and they never made me feel stupid for asking questions and there is a sense of like intelligence about their faith now i know christianity is just simple faith but when you have questions And I think in our culture today, we need to be more prepared for questions. And they never, ever, ever made me feel dumb. And I can still remember, like, would you like to come Sunday to our meeting? And I'm like, sure, you know. And this is what I know. It was the most unhip meeting possible. And there was maybe 20 other elderly people in this church. And the pastor was the organist. And he'd be way over here. And he'd play, I'm like, organ music. You know. I'd be like, OK. But I kind of know him a little bit. So I don't mind the music as much. And then it would get totally quiet. Because it would take him, like, a while to then get off the organ. <laughs> and then he'd make his way to the pulpit, right? And, but here's what I know. it's like He then invited me, do you want to meet on Tuesday? And we met on Tuesdays. And he'd bring me these sandwiches. In fact, I loved Sundays because afterwards we go down into the smelly basement and the elderly ladies there would, like, get in f- fights about me, like, I got some sandwiches for you, Dan, you know, because I was the only young guy, like, no, eat my sandwiches. And then I'd be like, <laughs> oh, you know, and I'd go home with, like, this bag of sandwiches, like, so happy because they took me into a loving, small community. And it was there where the, and they I ended up, learning about Jesus, and I was able to ask questions. Stuart Allen in that tiny elderly church, they showed me that not all Christians are judgmental or unintelligent. And I did have blind, I'm sorry, simple faith, not blind faith, There there was reasons, but then I did have questions. And the questions were like, well, what do you do? You know, questions like, what do you do with those passages in Leviticus? I don't understand, like, should we not touch a pigskin? Should we not be eating pork? Or do you not mix blends of clothing and shrimp? And then Stuart would lovingly, without like, don't ask that question, or that stuff, he explained things that I never heard of before, like context. When you look into the book of Exodus and Leviticus, and I wish I could say this to so many people because there's so much confusion about this, you have to remember, it was written, to a certain people group that God was making a new covenant with, the people of Israel in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. And then, I mean, you can spend an entire 40 minutes just on this, but I'll just quote a, uh, a very respectful uh, pastor, thinker that you probably know to give a very quick answer to this one. But it was, you know, this is Tim Keller, uh, a pastor in New York City, who wrote, before Jesus' time, God's people, as recounted in the Old Testament, had to offer sacrifices to atone for sin and follow a complex set of rules for ceremonial purity. And and then he says this included eating certain kinds of food while abstaining from others, like shellfish, and then wearing certain forms of dress, garments woven with two kinds of material. That was the only one way could approach God, the the only way one could approach God in worship at that time. Today, such rules are not followed, by Christians because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because Jesus fulfilled the law, ending its requirements, and there's some Bible passages up there I'm not going to uh, read out loud, but then also Christians are not bound by the Old Testament, but they're rather to be subject to the law of Christ. So then you go like, well, what's the law of Christ, and that mean like anything goes now? And you go like, no, you then look at the New Testament and the New Covenant. And then Tim Keller continues, and he says the New Testament reaffirms laws that are still to be obeyed, like loving one's neighbor, caring for the poor, not committing adultery or killing. Then he makes a point to saying all of the sex ethic of the Old Testament is restated throughout the New Testament. So what you'll see is a lot of the moral teachings about sexuality, adultery, uh, murder, all of these type of things. They are reaffirmed in the New Testament to be continued to be obeyed, but then in the Old Testament, you'll see that then there is a period where that was for that specific group, but you have to study that to understand. So I can see at a surface glimpse when you're like, do you not eat shrimp? Like, you see that all the time, but wait, then does the New Testament affirm it or not affirm it? You'll see Jesus declared all food clean in Mark chapter 7, verse 19. And Jesus later confirmed this in a vision to Peter in Acts chapter 10, verse 15. So certain dietary things stopped. Other moral things continued, and they're reaffirmed. Or you'll see, like, this thing about footballs. It was so confusing. Why do Christians play football? Then I started looking into it, like, okay, I got it. That was an issue for Israel at the time. But then I also then realized, like, at a surface glance, touching pig skin... And you'll see things passed around and, and sort of Christians being mocked a little bit. But they're like, wait a minute, footballs were never made of pig skins. And they're like, oh. And then you go, in Europe, they're made from balls from inflated pig bladders. Kind of weird looking. Uh, but then what, what happened was 16th centuries, they, they made pig bladder covered in deer skin. There's a photo of one that they've uh, found. And the, but modern footballs are still made of, they're made of cow leather. They still have an internal bladder, but it's, it's basically synthetic rubber. So I go like, oh, but now from an outside surface, I'd like pig skin, don't touch them, dumb Christians, right? But then I'm like, I never really stopped to look further into it. And Stuart Allen, as he met with me, he started teaching me to think about these things and to go into scripture a little bit further and not just take surface things or make statements like that. And God used an 83-year-old man to change my life, and put faith in Jesus. Out of his love, his non-judgmental heart, how he encouraged questions, he encouraged thinking. right? And God used the spirit of God in him for me then to recognize Jesus as savior and Lord and choose to follow him. And all the silly stuff about music and style fades away. Right, that's so critical because we're sort of in this fascinating cultural time period where there's a lot of confusion about the faith. And so I wanna ask, if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, I wanna ask you point blank, who are you being Stuart Allen to? Who are you intentionally not being a freak, too, like, hey, read the Bible with me. I'm just talking about, like, representing Jesus well. Praying for them. Stuart Allen always would say, I'm praying for you, me boy. And i like, and I believed him. Who are you passionately interceding to say, like, may they understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus? Who are you making time with to do that? Instead of maybe huddling with just your Christian buddies because never underestimate the impact that even small things have on someone that may see a scary Mary version of Christianity but they're maybe wondering is there something else and is the search for Jesus or is there truth beyond what they see on the surface and God uses us individually in community in relationships it might be the the Safeway checkout girl who's had a hard night, and it's one o'clock in the morning, and there's a line, and, and people are bickering at her, and you're kind to her. Or there's a waitress, and she's all you know tense, or a waiter, and, and he's like you know all it's just like people treating them bad, and you don't just you know give him a fifty cents and a Bible verse on your check, you know, it's like I'm representing Jesus, and it's like the kindness, and who knows, and if you're praying, who May God intersect in your life in an unusual way. That's another whole message. But I believe that's how this changes. Never underestimate that if you're a follower. And think right now, who is it? Who is it? Is there somebody? Um, Here's another thing just to ask. 1 Peter 3 is a passage that says, like, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but people don't walk up to strangers generally and say, excuse me, what's the hope that you have, right? It's generally through a relationship somehow. And then if you're searching in this room, because like, you know, or you're just wondering, is this thing real? What about God, Christianity? Like, please, don't ignore the things that are saying confusing things about the faith, but look into the full story. Find a Stuart Allen. There's plenty of Stuart Allens in Reality San Francisco. I know that they would match you up with somebody for questions, and I know it's happening. But don't just settle for like a surface thing. No, there's answers. It was through Stuart Allen that I first started learning that C.S. Lewis was a believer in Christianity, and J.R. Tolkien was a believer in Christianity and the story of the Bible, and they understood myths. They were professors who taught about mythology, and if anybody could discern, like, is this real myth or is this real? You're looking at people like that, scholars, professors, who, who write beautiful literature, put their faith in the real story of Jesus. And then you'll see scientists, like when you start going into the creation account and different things, you'll find things like Hugh Ross, who is an astrophysicist who believes in the biblical account. There's various ways of looking at it. There's Francis Collins, who's a, a global expert, and uh, he's a geneticist, and he started the Human Genome Project, Respect, respected. He has bowed his knee to Jesus and believes in the full Inspiration of scripture. Different viewpoints out there on things, but they believe in the story. And then one that knocked my socks over was, I found out Johnny Cash was a believer in Jesus. (laughs) Through his ups and downs and struggles of addiction and various things, and even in his latter days, he was very vocal about his faith in Jesus. Another hero of mine, Wanda Jackson, who actually, she was part of our last uh, Easter, Uh, she came and even sang a song with us, and she's a follower of Jesus. And when I saw her open for Adele at the Greek theater, she even spoke about her faith in Jesus publicly. And I think she gets away with it because she's like 78. You know, so you're kind of like, ah. Huh. But she was like, Jesus changed my life. And I need to tell all of you. And she does that at every single show. She dated Elvis Presley. If you don't know who she is when she was younger and was in the Johnny Cash movie and in, the, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It only takes one generation to forget the story of God It only takes one, reality, San Francisco, person, part of this community, and of course, not in isolation, there's many communities within the whole community, and God uses us, you, to change someone else's life for eternity. The little things, never forget that. And I look forward to one day, because I believe this can happen, when you type in the Google search, instead of it saying, Christians and all these negative things, that maybe in 10 years, will turn, look at this, and they'll say this. Christians are loving, kind, intelligent, patient, forgiving. People may not believe in everything, but we will be changing how that happens. And that's what I love about this church, because God is using you in San Francisco. And it's an honor to be here and keep doing it. And we're now going to go into a time of communion. So Lord, as we're here... I just thank God for the people of this church. I thank you for Stuart Allen. And I pray for those in this room that they will consider who are they being Stuart Allen to. And if they don't know somebody, may they pray and you bring someone in their life. Just little things. And I pray for those that may be confused or wondering, and I understand that fully, move them along and show them your reality. We love you, Lord. I thank you for saving me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.